0: This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate Mayo. And this is a very special, super-secret Memory Palace just for you. As a great, big, sincere, heart-on-the-sleeve, thank you for supporting the Memory Palace. And I think that in this age of Kickstarter and, you know, book deals uh, for people who tweet really well, I think people get kind of blasé about this sort of thing, about the idea that, like, of course someone would want to fund your little artistic pursuit. But I can guarantee you that I am not blasé about this at all. The fact that you have given money for something you literally can get for free means um, something close to the world to me. Anyway, so yeah, so this is a lost Memory Palace episode of a sort. I did a version of this years ago for a uh, show called Backstory. It's a public radio show. And um, I kind of hated it. And I couldn't really figure out why. Um, it just didn't really work. And it was never sort of a, a, an episode of the Memory Palace. Um, So I decided to to go back and give it a crack and make it good. Um, And I think I I did. I hope I did, for your sakes. Um, So here you go. This is for you. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. It felt like the flu. You'd get a fever and chills. You'd feel achy. Sometimes you'd throw up. Sometimes you wouldn't and then a rash would appear, and you would know you were probably going to die. A sailor stepped off a merchant ship and onto the cobblestones of Boston sometime in late spring 1721. He went into town and behaved, we assume, like a sailor, in the bars and brothels by the waterfront, in a dark corner of the Puritan city, and then people started dying. Over the course of a single summer, Half of the city's 11,000 residents got smallpox. That's every other Bostonian. Every other wheelwright and cooper. Every other brewer and clergyman. A flip of a coin. And when you got it, there was another coin flip. You died or you were permanently disfigured. Those were your choices. And the disease built its cruel network, connecting a traveler to an innkeeper his neighbor, to her young daughter, to the cousin who sat by her bedside to the physician who pronounced her dead Zabdiel Boylston had done that too often he was a doctor and a good one, he was the first person in the new world to do modern surgeries he had saved a woman who was dying from cancer by removing a lump from her breast he had cured people But this disease left him hopeless and scared. Like the rest of the people of Boston, they were terrified. Which of their loved ones would be next? Which of their customers or employees would stop showing up? Would their father make it through the night? And who could they blame? This was the Puritan city, so they blame Satan. You can always blame Satan. But really, Bostonians blamed themselves, because they had allowed their city to become a den of sin. They had profited from the trade that flowed into and out of the city, that brought rum and tobacco and heathen sailors from the dark corners of the world into their streets. The sailor who brought smallpox, he was a vessel of God's vengeance. Now there was nothing for them to do but pray, and take their punishment, and let the disease run its course. That's what they believed. And there was one man, perhaps more than any other, who had made them believe it. Cotton Mather was a 59-year-old theologian. He had been famous in that town since he was 15, since he graduated from Harvard. He spent the next four decades writing treatises on religion that helped define the Puritans to themselves, writing on the wages of sin, on the ways of demons and spirits. When the people of Salem killed their neighbors and called young women witches, They were whipped up by the words in the writing of Cotton Mather. So these poor, suffering Bostonians, who also had to suffer guilt, that was on Mather, the so-called saver of souls. But it was Mather who had the key to saving their lives. Because this man of God was also a man of science. He was a naturalist and an agronomist. He conducted field surveys in the population of passenger pigeons. He did important work developing hybrid corn strains and he studied medicine. Mather had heard a story years before. A slave had told him about how back in Africa, when the sickness would come, they would take needles and remove tissue from wounds and sores of people infected with smallpox and poke them into the skin of healthy ones. The healthy people would get sick, but for a brief time. And they wouldn't die. And now, with smallpox spreading death and fear in his city, Mather wanted to try the heathen signs. But his city wasn't having any of it. This was a betrayal. This was heresy. His fellow clergymen condemned him. The city's doctors, trained at medical schools in Europe, condemned him too. All this was going to do was sicken the healthy and spread the disease. No doctor would perform a procedure like this. It was against the whole point of being a doctor. Mather read them accounts of the Chinese doing it, of Turks doing it. But he couldn't convince them. The procedure was forbidden before it was even attempted. But one doctor decided Mather was right. Zabdiel Boylston was tired of telling patients there was no hope. He was tired of holding mirrors to the mouths of children and tired of the heartbreak he felt when the mirrors didn't fill with fog. So on June 21st, he broke the law. He took a needle and poked it into the open sore of one of his patients. He wrapped the needle in cloth and took it home. And then he called for his six-year-old son. He must have told the boy not to worry. Must have rubbed his hands through his hair. Must have told him it would only hurt for a second. He must have told him he could trust daddy. And then he stabbed the needle into his son's arm. The city exploded. The Puritan ministers, the doctors, the newspapers, nearly everyone in power condemned Boylston and Mather. They said Zabdiel Boylston was killing his son. He was defying God. A firebomb crashed through Mather's window. And Boylston couldn't leave his home. He wasn't safe in the streets. Even after his son got better. And even as other people, refusing to sit and wait to die, sneaked into the doctor's home and demanded to be inoculated. Even as word spread that the procedure seemed to be working, everyone condemned the doctor and the reverend. As the disease continued to spread that summer, people blamed them, even as the disease began to run its course naturally in the fall with the frost. Boston condemned Boylston and Mather. Even after the epidemic had passed and people could finally look at the numbers, Nearly half of the city had contracted the disease. Of the people who had, nearly one in six had died. Of the 244 people Boylston inoculated, that ratio was one in 40. Six people died total. And still, for years after, most of Boston condemned Boylston and Mather. So Boylston left, off to London where he was praised and feted, inducted into the Royal Academy, far away from bitter, backwards Bostonians. He lived to be 90 and died of old age, outliving most of the people who condemned him. And as for Mather, he was forced to live the last few years of his life as a pariah, which is a hard way to go, but which might have been what he had coming to him after all these years. You don't have to believe in demons and witches to believe in karma.